Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they've learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hi everyone. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to emigrate and if you could successfully continue your career abroad? Well, this week I'm joined by Ben Rainforth Gott, who moved and spent seven years living in New Zealand, where he not only continued his career, but managed to progress it up from HRBP to HR Director. Ben's career journey is an interesting one, given his stint overseas, but in this episode he also shares his principles and beliefs about the role HR has to play, and how he's become such a respected HR professional, and someone who delivers results in each organisation he has worked in. Ben is an absolutely fascinating character with absolutely oodles of knowledge. So I hope you enjoy listening to this one as much as I did recording it. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me once again on Is This Room Free? Um, this week, my guest is Ben Rainforth Gott. Um, we we connected, um, I guess, just as a, as a general connection on LinkedIn recently. I looked over your profile, saw that you had worked um, in the UK, you'd worked in New Zealand, then back in the UK. And I thought, you know what, I've not had somebody who has gone and worked overseas um, and then come back to the UK and, and kind of um, interesting to understand someone who's done that journey. And then you and I started messaging, we had a good chat last week. And actually, oh God, I think we must have been talking nearly an hour just chatting last week. And, and there was so much more that... That, that does come from having those conversations with people. And it, and it I was kind of really keen to get you on and gladly you said yes, but really there's so much I'd like to cover today. And not only that kind of um, emigration and, and repatriation to the UK working, um, you have a very, very unique um, way of operating and you've got, I think, some key principles and methodologies about how you operate and that's what I'd kind of like to get out today so stop rabbiting on Martin um Ben do you want to just kind of tell the listeners who you are and kind of what you're about then really yeah awesome and I suppose I just want to um start off by saying really great to connect uh with you on LinkedIn and just really leveraging the platform so um, me, I'm a, I'm a senior executive HR person. As you said, I've been around the traps a fair bit. Um, I suppose where, where I really bring the value is around just cutting through the complexity of an organisation and being truly people-centric, both in driving teams forward, but actually looking for people-centric solutions to really transform an organisation and drive them forward. Um, I've been really privileged, you know, uh, had an awesome career here in the UK, a magnificent ability to really diversify across industry when I uh, moved out to New Zealand. And again, gone back through that major life change around, you know, coming back onto uh, onto the UK shores and, and sort of really hitting the market. So um, I'm not your stock standard HR operator. I think that's, you know, fair to, fair to say. I'm a little bit like Marmite, um, where we get where we sort of gel with an organisation and I can really work in and influence and work collectively with the leadership. It's absolute gold. Um, and a lot of people say, you know, I, I bring a lot of sense of fun and a lot of purpose, but I also bring a lot of courage in the conversations that I have around dialing up businesses forward. Yeah. Some of the things I think we've been talking, you know, last week and just before um, we got rolling with the podcast is, um, you know, we were talking about you as being a kind of an agitator in a very positive way. And, and something when we were talking last week that that I kind of got the impression of is, um, I didn't I didn't actually mention this to you, but it was just something that in the back of my mind I was thinking about. You you come across as someone who has standards, and I think that's very important that you you don't suffer fools and you have very clear standards and expectations of those who work in your team. They're not unrealistic standards; they are just standards of excellence that you 
um, expect your team to deliver to. And, and, and as a result of that, you seem to get results. Um, but I'm sure we'll kind of get into all that. And um, for the listeners, just to, just to confuse them all, um, because of the accent, um, you are actually from the UK. You're from my neck of the woods, aren't you? From kind of I Preston am, area. Yeah, I'm get shops with, uh, am I on the right or the wrong side of the Pennines? But yeah, I was, uh, I was Lanc- uh, a Lan- Lancashire-born, grew up in New Zealand, came back to Yorkshire, moved to London, back out to New Zealand. So, you know, I think ideally from a location perspective, to satisfy both, you know, both both top and tail of the, of the planet, probably residing in Singapore would work. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I suppose um, for me as well, you know, really lucky in that around experiencing a different culture to be brought up in from an education setting. You know, I've been gifted with the fact that I've been able to, you know, travel um both with my job and just you know having dual citizenship so i must have i sit here sometimes uh particularly in the current pandemic uh thinking did i make the right move when i'm looking at all my ex-colleagues and friends in new zealand all hugging and kissing and having a having a great time but yeah i mean it just sort of teaches you so many different skills in life um and really opens your eyes up to you know just the rich diversity that's that the globe has to offer and uh, and just working with with different people different cultures you know different beliefs and i suppose my view is as i'm always really inquisitive about business but inquisitive about what makes people tick to make a business go forward okay so you so you're born um in lancashire you went to new zealand um the whole family went when you were very young yeah. when did you then return back to the uk so we came back in the 90s um, and I came back at a funny age, you know, coming into Yorkshire, having to do the last year of sort of uh, GCSEs because the equivalence uh, education wasn't recognised uh, here in the UK. So, you know, quite quickly having to have a bit of a thick skin with people thinking that I was Australian, you know, the old stock standard jokes, you know, is your dad called Bruce and your mum called Sheila, wrong country, spin the globe round a little bit further. Um, uh, and again, you know, being, six, being 16, Oldest guy in school, funny accent, um, you know, just sort of having to readjust. Um, and I suppose I then went forward with, you know, stock standard A-levels, parents, you know, go to university. I was toying with the idea of being a teacher. Didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, in life at that age. Um, but I'd always had an aspiration and a fascination for aviation. Um, so I embraced that. And uh, instead of going to third university, and I, uh, I went and joined the friendly skies as a flight attendant and uh, absorb myself in, in, in awesomeness around flying around. And that absolutely taught me a huge amount um, from teamwork, for respecting others, you know, from understanding different perspectives, um, being able to deal with the situation when it arises, because there's nowhere where you can go when you're at 38,000 feet in a metal tube. Um, so you have to think with an agile mindset and you have to enroll people um, into into making decisions and that's probably stuck with me um okay. you know throughout my career and how have we gone from that to hr so where did where did your interest in hr as a career where did that seed start growing i suppose after coming out of aviation and i moved into you know, customer operations and customer satisfaction roles and, and moved into the construction industry. And quite quickly, a lot of what was happening in business around rework, around things that were going wrong, had a natural person at the start or the end of the equation. And I suppose that's what really sort of pricked my attention around what can we do from a from an improvement perspective to, you know, that right first time and enrolling the people. Um, and that's where I really entered my journey um, into HR and, and really then started embracing that um, around, you know, it, it was a massive uphill learning around policies and procedures and all the regulations and pulling that down, but, you know, being passionate about doing that. But I think moving in from a, a non-normal way into the field of HR and bringing that operational skill and that lens and that sort of people stuff that you you, you teach yourself or you, or you get gifted through learning through your career was, was quite a natural pathway coming in. Um, and I could also speak the same language of the business, which is really important. You know, I didn't. What do you uh, mean by that? Um, I think sometimes in HR, we shoot ourselves in the foot because we can overcomplicate things. Um, both within our own internal environment, the function of HR, you know, L&D don't understand what 
BPs are saying and vice versa. So we just create a language. Um, and then when we when we're wanting to operationalize or, or 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 push something out for the benefit of the organization, we do it in a way that the business doesn't really understand. And I think that's where you sometimes get that negative connotation around, you know, the big stick HR said. Um, and HR says you must do, and I'm certainly not an operator like that. So for me, it's about taking the complexity out of the language because at the end of the day, often what we're asking people to do is common sense. Um, so having that common sense approach, but also before we're rolling rolling anything out, for me, it's around co-design. It's about hoovering information in from the business, looking at how we can find a solution, a practical solution from an HR perspective, and joining that up and rolling that out. Um, and, and, and and it's that from a continuation perspective. You know, so you still get beat around the head around, you know, some stuff that is is HR says and HR does, yeah. but it's about enrolling people um, and demystifying or debunking this, you know, cautious, oh, my God, you know, policy is really scary, um, into enrolling people to learn and support them to be better people leaders and, and people managers. And do you think that came from because you came in through an unorthodox route? So because you were in operational roles before moving into HR, do you think almost because you were a recipient of of, um, initiatives coming out from HR and were, how does that feel to you as the receiver of it that then kind of changed your mindset as to when you got into HR, actually, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it the way I think it will be better received. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose before coming into HR, when I, when I think back all those years, which is, you know, hard on hard on my memory these days, but, you know, HR was also, was, was often this myth, mythical thing. You never saw them, you know. The only time you'd really uh, interact or get anything through from HR was if somebody was in trouble um, or you had to fill in a form. And it, it just felt like a very transactional, push-pull type of relationship. Um, and I suppose in moving in and having worked with some awesome people across HR, um, you know, uh, for me, as I say, it's, it's around that enrolment. It's around the feedback. And, and actually, HR as, as a function is we're in designing solutions with people at the forefront, but actually you've got to do that with agility and it's got to be cost effective. And to land it, you've got to do it in a way that it's simple to understand. You can coach somebody to do it and then you become a facilitator or you become a trusted pair of ears from a guidance perspective. So very much for me in all of my practice has been, you know, I'm not black and white and I'm certainly not beige and I don't like to police um, and often those connotations sort of get associated with HR quite a lot. And for me, where the gold is, 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 de- is, is debunking that, you know, remove the fear factor, remove the fact that it's not credible and it's in a corporate overhead and it costs us money and we all get beaten around, you know, with a big HR stick for doing it, to actually investing time and energy around getting to know the business, getting to know the people and actually putting the HR systems and solutions and the people in there that are really going to um, be adaptive and work in partnership. Okay. And it sounds simple, but it's really hard. Well, so what, what I feel as though we're doing is we're starting to now understand your, your mindset and how you approach HR delivery. If I can go back kind of a tiny little bit then. So, so you were in operations. When you, when you transitioned over into HR, what was, what was your first job in HR? What level did you come in at? So it was around the BP level. So it was around looking after, you know, you, you sort of stock standards, what you now define as HR business partners. So a lot of that compliance, um, you know, I, I suppose I was very lucky from a, a cultural perspective that there wasn't a huge amount of complex employment relations issues and whatever else. So it was very much around tuning that dial and then quite quickly moving into the you know, across into the L and D sphere, um, and then just work, working, working the way through from there. So, you know, I suppose it's like transitioning into any job. There's some practical skills that you need to learn. There's some legal skill that you need to learn. Um, and if you've got the passion and the drive and the energy, you'll absolutely pick it up. And I suppose, 
you know, from where I've been in my career is, is, is not augmenting back to this structured framework of textbook says X and you must deliver to X because that doesn't work. You know, yeah. you, you've, got, you've got to have a bit of variability in there. This is interesting now because there's so many people who do try and transition over into HR, but but struggle and, and a lot of them have to kind of start at the beginning. So people will be listening to this thinking, well, hang on, he's gone from an operational role in you were saying kind of customer satisfaction um, over into a a BP role, which is, you know, it's a great level to kind of go in at. Was that an internal move? I'm guessing you didn't, wasn't an external move. A lateral move. And I think the other thing is, is is often organisations, people like to put people in boxes. Yeah. uh, And that happens everywhere. It does. It it does. That's what I mean. We can't get away from this. This is why I'm really curious. How did you make that, that transition over? You must have, been displaying something to for someone to go yeah we'll definitely consider him from a for a, you know because there'll be other people in the hr team who will have been peeved that you've come in as a sideways move and they're trying to get and you know they've gone from hr admin hr assistant hr advisor and hang on how come he's been considered for this and i haven't yeah and again, I suppose it goes back to, you know, sometime, sometimes in life, if you're lucky, you're gifted with an opportunity and you've got to embrace it. Um, but the other thing is as well, you know, and I go back to, you know, uh, the stepping stone pathway around entry level. And that's absolutely a route in, you know, come in, you start out as an administrator and you, and you move up the ranks and you probably stack your CIPD up against the ranks, which is brilliant because it teaches you the practical at skills when it comes to being an HR practitioner. What that doesn't teach you is the ability around, you know, I think you have to be very resilient in HR. You have to be pragmatic. You have to be open-minded. Um, you have to have an ability to front courageous conversations. Um, and you have to have a will and a passion to want to do the moral thing for an organisation and, and, you know, take, take a lot of risk. Um, at the same time, and also as you know, my advice, what I often give to my teams around the profession of HR, it doesn't matter how amazing you are or what situation you're in, there's often two things. If you deliver something amazing for an organisation, you can almost guarantee HR didn't have anything to do with that. Um, but likewise, if something goes absolutely disastrous, you're there, you know, you're, you're down in the weeds with the shovel and or at the bottom of the cliff with the ambulances and you're picking stuff up. So you need that resilience. And I suppose you don't enter into the profession for high praise and badges of honour. You do it because if you're a really good operator, you have an ability to be courageous in the conversation, um, be the moral compass, and you have to drag a lot of conversations back to that, yeah, that's brilliant. We're running at a million miles an hour, but can we just stop and just put, put a person in the equation here and make sure that, you know, this is the right thing that we're doing? Um, and that's why I love the profession because no two days are the two days are the same. Um, and for me, even in, when I think about the teams that I've had and I've enrolled people in, um, I can teach people the legal elements and the policy elements. But what I look for when I'm enrolling people in is that inquisitive mindset who want to understand a business, who want to look for solutions and who are going to really partner around driving and a little bit similar to myself around the demystification. You know, let's just get some some practical stuff in, because if we move out of the reactive space and we can get out of that reactive space, then absolutely we can we, we can deliver fantastic things for an organization with agility you know with passion with drive um and when i think and reflect back on the teams and the, and, and the organizations that i've been in there's nothing prouder from a you know a seasoned hr person that sought out as a thought leader the stuff other than just hr you know that's you know that's brilliant um and it's that bounce off because you've you've got to build that trust that credibility you've got to be an expert in what you do um, but you can do a lot more at the same time. Okay. So how did you, just to kind of finish off kind of your early, your first kind of HR role, so you've, you've kind of come over, did you adapt to it really well? Because obviously it's a, it's a different skill set. Like you say, you've got legislation to learn, policy to learn. Or did you find, what I'm kind of getting the sense from you is that 
you accepted that was part of the role and and you um or certainly the way you kind of advise your teams um so i'm wondering if this is maybe because of the way that you did it you accept all the legislative policy compliance comes as part of the formality of the hr job but actually you came in with a more of a pragmatic mind and, and looked to solve problems and use that intrinsic skill within yourself to 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 deliver and be a good HR practitioner. And just I learned the other stuff because that was just reading text and absorbing information where it was the um the provision of the business partnering that you were very good at. Is that fair to say? It is. And I suppose the other thing is, is, you know, having having led and managed teams prior to HR, um, you know, I, I suppose I was sort of the manager or the leader that were, you know, is very inclusive and supportive. But equally, I, can, I could have a, a hard conversation. Um, you know, I could put somebody on an absence management plan. I could have a performance conversation um, and I could read and understand a policy. Um, so that wider learning around probably the, the more risk context and just broadening that experience, um, you know, and, and, and doing a lot of reading and reading a lot of case studies. Um, but equally as well, and this is where I come back to the, the demystification of, of HR as a, as a function, really good managers and leaders in a business absolutely get that as well. Um, you know, and there'll be some HR people that are listening that know those customers in the business when they're rocking up. That you know, these people know know their eggs from their eggs, and will absolutely run them around the treadmill. Um, which is why it needs to be supplemented around that ability to have a wholesome conversation. Um, and what I what I've never done is I've never lectured, and I've never sort of hit somebody head over the head with a policing stick. And I go back to that um, because I'd rather have dialogue. I'd rather somebody tell me the situation or the scenario that they're in and level that across the procedural element because if I know everything that's going on and I'm getting them gift, gifting that from a manager, then I can give the legal and the practical advice but a better solution for an outcome. And we're not going to get tangled up somewhere down the line when you know Mr or Mrs Manager goes, oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you about this. Um, because we haven't had the conversation up front. Okay, so you're early career. You've um, you've gone into HR. You you operate in a senior BP, um, and then you decided you wanted to go back to New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Wanted to sort of try on try New Zealand on as an adult, um, and again, you know, is that, that just to go back and just see the country that you grew up in? Uh, yes and no. I suppose, you know, I could have sat really comfortable where I was at, but, you know, uh, at that moment in time, I suppose, life presented me an opportunity that I wanted to do something a bit different. Um, and, you know, having a Kiwi passport in the back pocket, it's an easy road in. Um, and I just made that life choice at that point in time that, you know, it, it was the right thing to do. Um did timing have anything to do with it? Because kind of looking at kind of when you went out there, that was just after the, you know, the the last kind of major recession. Did that have a part or not really? It did. And I suppose the other thing is as well as, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was bored, but I think mentally I was ready for a, I was ready for a change in a challenge. Um, and I just wanted to do something different. And, you know, uh, when you sort of reflect and you look back, you know, it didn't have any other commitments other than a job, um, you know, and, and the life bits that sort of come with that. You were, um, you were single at that point as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it was... That uh, does make it a little bit easier, doesn't it? Just, you know, because it can be your decision and your decision only rather than having to think about another individual and taking them along and, you know, yeah. Yeah. convincing that person to to do such a dramatic move. Yeah, so from a from a decision point perspective, quite easy, you know, not having to jump through through the hoops of getting a visa and that the logist the life logistics of that weren't there. Um, you just needed you know, an world. airplane ticket, really, didn't you? Pack well, a that's that. I mean, I must admit, yeah, I did well. sort of get, get off the plane at Singapore and and sort of sat there on my fourteen hours in in Changi <laughs> Airport, thinking, my God, what the hell have I done? Um, but it was too late to sort of turn around and come back, and then. You know, other things I remember at the time thinking, I'm going to 
get to the immigration control at New Zealand and they're going to say, you've not been here for 19 years, you can bugger off back. Um, and, and, and it was, you know, it, it was a great move and a hard move because, again, you're having to reestablish yourself you know, networks and friends and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, like, did you, I like, have friends? Like because, because of the age that you left, did you have friends still or not really? Because you were of an age that you were still kind of quite young, that they were just kind of mates from high school. Yeah, I think always. I mean, the thing is with New Zealand, it's, it's such an inclusive country to live in um, and a phenomenal place. And, you know, when my parents immigrated out there, um, like a lot of places, you know, people go to Australia or South Africa or wherever they're going, you just build an expat community. So, you know, I had a lot of those childhood friends that were, you know, uh, wider, a wider extension of the family who would be back, you know, to the UK and you catch up. And then, you know, um, Facebook appeared. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can just start reconnecting with oh. people. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't... It wasn't a scary move because I was going back to somewhere, you know, that I knew. And uh, a lot a lot of New Zealand, when I got off the plane, hadn't changed a lot. You know, it's still green and beautiful. And, you know, the school I went to still looked exactly the same and the neighbourhood looked, you know, similar. So there was that similarity piece that was there. Um, and it made it, it made it quite easy because we, we kept those wider acquaintances yeah. um, around that change, you know, that, that change in environment. Um, did you did you have a job lined up or did you just kind of suitcase, ticket, off I go, I'll, I'll just get sorted when I get there? Pretty much. Um, you know, and I remember I, I sort of I sort of landed into New Zealand in the early, early November. Rugby World Cup had just finished. Um, there'd been a national election and New Zealand was basically closed from a recruitment perspective um, because we were landing into summer. So, you know, very, very early on around having conversations and building networks and, and, and just and just building that connection point, which is really important from a network perspective, but also the realisation that actually I could pro- I could spend a bit of time you know, getting out and about and, and getting to getting to know the country again because actually New Zealand was closed until the second week of January um, when things started to pick up and, and uh, you know, through connections and associations, I was lucky to to move into a contract role, which wasn't with an HR, um, and then I still had that that passion and that drive to want to be in, in, in HR um, and was lucky to, to land a great role. Um, just... just- you know, because there, I mean, there'll be people who listen to this who have maybe had um, thoughts about emigrating. Sometimes when people come to the UK, and, I, and I've seen it, I remember there was a lady a couple of years ago, very, very um, capable senior HR director who came over from South Africa, and her her husband had passed away. Um, she had three kids, all kind of. Um, early teens, teenager age, she came over here because the crime rate in South Africa was, was increasing. And it was, um, I think actually, I think her husband had been murdered and that was part of the reason. Wow. He was from um, Lancashire originally. So she kind of came over here for family. And unfortunately she ended up having to go back because she just couldn't get a job. Um, and I tried to help her as best I could. But organisations just kept rebuffing her and saying she hasn't got any UK experience, whereas we're going to take the other candidate who has. And she, and she had to go back, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we kind of flip that then, for people who want to emigrate and, and go overseas, I would anticipate there would be exactly the same um, discrimination against somebody coming over from, from a different country so what was it like going over to New Zealand and, and trying to get a HR job? Are they, um, are they open? Do they um, accept people from the UK or overseas and going, well, do you know what, HR is HR. Yeah, there's a slight legislative difference, but you're a practitioner of HR, so we feel that you can do the job. Or is there a, a discrimination against, if you've not done it in this country, we're not even going to consider your application. 
Yeah, and I suppose what I would what I'd say to that is, you know, uh, absolutely no from a from a discrimination perspective. Um, <clears throat> I think New Zealand, from a population perspective, you know, it is a very innovative and inclusive uh, country. You know, the, the the demographic of society is just painted with so many different colours of of society. It's unreal, um, and it's very much around experience, value contribution, and actually leaning in for the skills uh, and the competency that you can bring to a role and embracing that. From a legislative perspective, it's not hugely different, to be honest, and I think that's probably one of the myths that I continually have to attempt to rebuff, um, you know, with being back on shore. You know, it, it is part of the Crown entity. It does have Crown law. Um, it does have a very complex employment um, legislative system, but it also is probably dialed a little bit further. You know, early reconciliation, which you know sort of came in through the ACAS channel not that long ago, is pretty stock standard in New Zealand around um, you know complex case matters go to mediation and you 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 mediate an outcome, which minimises the number of cases that go through to uh, the equivalent of the tribunal. So. You know, skills are transferable. And, and as I say, you know, um, yeah, you have to brush up around some of the uh, nuances that are different from the UK, but it's about that practical approach. I'd probably say the, uh, the toughest piece is, you know, uh, that trans-Tasman because Australia and New Zealand are very different when it comes to employment law and legislation. You know, it's like comparing the UK with the USA. Um, and, uh, you know, that's probably a, dif a different move to make. But absolutely from our, you know, uh, wanting to embrace, wanting to bring good, good, good capable people on board. Um, absolutely. Um, you know. There you go, listeners. If anybody is thinking about emigrating to New Zealand, it's a good it's a good move to make then from a from a career perspective. So you, so you went over first job was a was a non HR contract role, but then you, I guess, what kind of finding your feet, starting to put feels out, building a network, applying for jobs, and then your first job. Um, so was so from you, it says kind of um, from your LinkedIn profile, regional head of HR. So you've kind of not only kind of gone over, you haven't just gone into the job that you were doing before. It seems as though you've actually stepped up in in terms of taking your career to the next level as well. Is that right? It is. And I suppose, again, you look at it, I mean, that, that, that that's probably, for a lot of people that are entering into HR, the confusing factor, because we don't have a consistency of a naming convention. So it's not like a ladder. You know, you can have an HR director in one camp that is, you know, completely on the polar opposite for an HR director in, in another camp. Um, so, you know, title and function and uh, looking after from a regional perspective because, you know, bearing in mind within New Zealand, you've got big city demographic and then you've got a lot of regional population. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, uh, I was having a conversation earlier today around uh, location in the UK and we're really lucky here that you can jump on a car and you can drive everywhere in the UK whereas often in New Zealand you're relying on an A320 or a you know a dash a dash plane to, to sort of get to where you are so um, from a positioning perspective to sort of give um, some symmetry to that very much that role working into a wider structure of HR um, but absolutely being an integral part of that leadership for for the region um, that it was responsible for. Um, and then touching in there, you know, professional services, uh, accountants, auditors um, hadn't been in, in there before. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I suppose for me, it just showed that HR is absolutely a transferable skill, um, you know, and it's not wholly reliant upon sector. Um, because I think the only times that I'd seen or experienced an auditor was when I was getting audited. So suddenly I'm in as a regional head of HR responsible for a whole load of, you know, accountants, uh, business advisors, tax advisors and, and, and auditors. Um, but again, you know, uh, the same subset of people related issues 
um, that HR can bring value to. And it always comes back to, you know, wholesome conversation, supporting managers to be great managers, having courageous conversations and putting people back into the equation um, and building an HR plan and an HR strategy that actually moves the business forward um, and getting involved. And I think probably the hardest lesson that I found of going into that first role in New Zealand was um, a really complex um, employment relations issue that had been bubbling pre-me joining um, and being enrolled into that quite quickly and sitting down with a lawyer and they're like, you have to have the pack. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. You know, we've gone to employment tribunal. They're like, no, it's mediation, but you have to put everything forward. And that was the difference from, you know, from, from coming out of the UK into New Zealand around um, going in from a reconciliation perspective, but actually having to work with, you know, your partners in the business to, to pull a pack together, which meant that you could address all the channels um, through mediation with a view to getting an outcome. And that was probably the hardest lesson uh, for me uh, because, you know, it, it just doesn't happen like yeah. that uh, here in the UK. Um, but as I say, that? again, it's, sorry. Would you prefer that? Do you think it was a better process? Absolutely, 100%. You know, the other thing in, within, uh, I suppose, you know, talking to some of the differences from, uh, from, from a New Zealand perspective is, you know, these long probationary periods, they don't happen, you know. So you're sort of ripping off this, you're seeing the true essence of a person from day one um, with not having these lengthy probationary periods where, you know, potentially people are, uh, are on their best behaviour for six to 12 months um, until they come off the probation. And then just the... the so ability- they, sorry, do, do they have a probation then or is it just a week a month or, or no probation at all it's it's variable so some organizations will have a probationary period uh, and that's probably no more than three months to to be honest for, for a lot a number of organizations don't have that um you know you go through the process you're enrolled you you know every employee employer relationship is built on trust through that process so you're gifted with that trust from day one um and in some sectors, yeah, you do you do have you know the the, the probationary period, but it's not stock standard. Um, so I suppose it's that enrolment upfront that that sort of you know comes comes through with that. Um, and, and what that also does is it just draws you in to make sure that the integrity that you have around your recruitment process and practice and your referencing, um, and just having. Uh, a, a really holistic view through that process is that you you're not onboarding risk because if you've done a great process from the start you shouldn't be you shouldn't be enrolling risk okay. um but yeah i think you know i think it's it, it's fantastic you know mediation um getting people around the table um it is part of the regulatory system around uh having upfront conversations and discussions and it is on record so you can't run and hide as a as an employer um, and you can't run and hide as an employee. Um, but it also enables an ability to either resolve, which gives people the ability to, to move back into the workplace and move forwards. But the most important thing is when things go really off the rails and the relationship is in tatters, I think what the most important thing it brings is it brings that individual closure because they've had an inability to sit down with their employer, not in a tribunal, but an open conversation and a dialogue that's obviously mediated. And I think from a well-being perspective, um, supporting people to move on from a process, you know, from a, from a tricky exit, um, I think that's invaluable because, you know, you see it from the flip side around people that are coming out and they carry this emotional baggage of, you know, a horrible exit for quite a considerable period of time. And it, and it impacts them, you know, from a, from a self-perspective, but also from an ability to, to really go in and stride into, in, into their next opportunity. I'd completely agree with you. You know, I've, I've spoken to many people um, who have, have exited a business for, for various reasons. And, and you can see it's, you know, I remember I've had people cry to me. You know, I'm, I'm a recruiter. And I've met with people who I've said to them, you're not ready for a new job yet. You, you, you're still going through almost a grieving period of, of exiting your old organization. Um, you can see they're still angry. The, the, yeah, just almost like coming out of a, of a, 
a physical relationship, um, you know, with another human, they, they haven't gone through that kind of period yet. It, I, I find this really interesting. I like listening to you talking about this because it almost feels very mature and very grown up. And you kind of, you listen to it and it, it, it's logical about why you would go through this mediation process of sitting down and, and talking through without going through kind of too much formality of process and like you're saying getting through to a tribunal it all just feels very grown up and very well if if the world operated the way it should operate this is this is kind of what we should be doing is just getting around the table having a chat like you say there's there's risk of um control in there by you know everything's on record so to speak and there's a mediator but i imagine there's a lot of kind of good feeling that that comes from closure of of these sessions versus kind of the way we do it here so it's yeah it's interesting to hear kind of you talk about about that um, and it's, it's the thing is because it is part of the employment system you know it's it is like the the early reconciliation but it's done physically you know so you still need to prepare all your case evidence and you've got to justify that you followed due process um but actually, it is that journey through mediation of exploring the fact and the substance. And it also gives an ability, you know, for if as an employer, you've maybe made a mistake in a process, you can say that, you know, yes, it's going to be on record. Um, and often through that process, you know, there are, there's, a num- there's a number of people that will not return into the workplace. Let's be, let's be honest. Um, but you, then you're negotiating what that exit strategy looks like for them. Whereas, you know, certainly when you when you when you pull the layer back to the UK demographic, and it happens, you know, protected conversation, or we're going into a settlement agreement, and you're in and out of these protected conversations or privileged conversations because you have to be. Um, but it's cold hard fact, and that works sometimes. But I suppose that's where I come back to that moralistic human factor need to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, a person in that tricky situation isn't just that person, you know. They're a mum or a dad or a brother or a sister. They've got other responsibilities. And I get that because that's life. But you can have a really hard, difficult conversation around an exit with an individual and you can still do it in an ethical way. Um, You know, uh, I suppose I've been... You know, I've been lucky in some of the conversations that that I've had through my career that have been absolutely really gnarly conversations. And I still recall individuals from the other side of the table standing up and shaking my hand and thanking me for just being authentic and genuine and understanding, yeah. you know, and that, that costs nothing. It, it just takes a conscious mind shift to, again, just dial, dial the person back in. Yeah, oh, completely. So not to kind of go through every single one of your roles there, but but essentially while you're in New Zealand, you um you you moved up to HRD level. Um so how did you find that? What I want to do is kind of get into the the what and the how from you, if we can do for a little bit. Um and then we kind of the repatriation back to the UK and, and some other stuff. So you you've kind of stepped up now into HRD. Um what was that like moving into that kind of lead HR role? And what was your, did you, did you have a mentality shift? Did you think, okay, now I need to um, be different, operate different, or was it just a, a kind of a natural step for you? And and now that you've almost got carte blanche to, to kind of lead a HR function, what changes do you make or how do you how do you put it into your mold maybe is the better phrase of 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 kind of hr now being under your um stewardship yeah um a lot of questions in that wasn't there sorry it's a great question i'll pick through um i suppose i'd caveat by saying you know uh, sitting sitting there as an hr director in an organization can be a really lonely place um, you know, because you are responsible for a people system and uh, and you're responsible for a lot of decisions. So you do really need to be able to lean in across, you know, your, your, your core networks. I think through the trajectory and the stepping stones that you have in your career, you know, if you are a bloody good business partner 
and you have the right questions and you build trust and credibility and you can tackle conversations with 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 uh with being courageous then that puts you in good stead um the other thing as well uh you know from from my perspective is I still have always had a vested interest around all of the bits that happen within an HR function. Um, and you can get very busy very quickly, um, you know, on strategy, on problem resolution, on looking at the, you know, oh, there's a magpie over there, that's nice and shiny, we'll go in this direction around bringing people back in. Um, but I suppose, you know, my advice is and where, and where the success has been for me is never losing sight of the team and bringing the team on the journey with you. Um, and making some difficult decisions as well. Um, you know, a lot of the functions that I've gone into, you know, and got to know the team and I've got to know the business, there's always one critical statement that I've always had to make in all of my roles, and that is that you can't do HR hiding behind Outlook. Um, you know, you need to be out there. It doesn't matter whether you're a business partner or an L&D business partner or a REM person. You need to understand um, and you need to find a rhythm within the function itself within HR around understanding roles and responsibilities and having a, having a conversation. There's a lot of infighting that can often happen within, you know, an HR function. So I suppose it's about, you know, I often, I often reflect and when I ex- try to explain what I do to non-HR or business people, it's a little bit like being able to, you know, juggle liquid jelly on one leg. Um, because there's so many different different hats that you have to wear and there's so many different areas and you do absolutely have to spread yourself across across an organisation um, and you have to do it with integrity and you have to do it in trust. Um, and, it, and it, you know, for me, I think it doesn't matter where you are in, in, in a system or on the journey of, of, of HR, if you lose the trust and integrity in an organisation, you're pretty much on a hiding to nothing because that's the stuff that you can't build back in. Um, so that's probably the long way round. It is a difficult transition, but in something you know, in a number of roles that I've been in, you, you, it's about pulling in from a wider corporate or, or bigger organisation. So you, you know, if you're in a standalone as an HR director and you're the thought leader and you're the solutions architect and you need to pull an HR strategy together. Um, that's a busy job Um, and absolutely you need to do it but what makes it easier if you start enrolling people into that as well Um, you know because you've got to have all of those goodies coming in from 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 the business from a challenge perspective from a strategy perspective you know um, what you're seeing hearing and feeling from a business partner in perspective and being able to unpick the business problem from a complexity perspective and find a linear solution how would you do that i don't know people sort of ask me that and i suppose you know i i like we were talking about this prior to the podcast weren't we and i was saying what the way i want this conversation to go is for me to ask the what and the hows from you today but ultimately i believe some people just have an innate ability to do certain things and they can't articulate how they can do it they've almost got a an eye for being able to do these things um but that's no good when we're trying to explain to people how you do it and i said can you know is there a way that you can articulate it somehow so that some listeners can can understand what your how your mind works so they can take some um some some learns away from this yeah Um, it's difficult. Do you think you've just got that kind of innate ability to get under the skin and and understand a complex issue and, and simplify it and get to the nuts of it all? I suppose you. I, I suppose it goes back to if you're inquisitive and you like complexity, it's a good place to start. And I mean, I reflected post our conversation the other day around in, in prepping for the session, and I suppose where I've landed with that around, you know understanding the complexity of an issue and putting simplification in. Uh, I suppose it's about being open and receptive as a leader to get wholesome and and, and true feedback coming through around where there's problems and, and what's going on. Um, and equally having that, that broader adaptive mindset with my business customers or my, uh, you know, leadership team um, around searching for a solution. 
Um, and I don't know whether I have a simplistic mindset because um, I think often what I've stumbled across is we we is, we naturally try to really overcomplicate things. Um, and if you just start asking the why and just start pulling the strings a little bit, then often you'll find a work through and a solution. Um, and it's just about joining that together. And I think it's about using the resources that you've got, the conversations, you know, um, being inquisitive. I go back to that. So understanding what's happening in an organisation and just being able to not react to it, but look at some pragmatic solutions for it. Um, and do things simple, you know, make things a little bit easier. Um, you know, we're terrible for that in HR, you know, we're still using CVs and pens and paper and, you know, you've got LinkedIn and all these other myriad of products. Um, so someone, someone listening to this, maybe someone who is in the earlier stages of their career and has aspirations to become a HRD one day. So you're talking about being inquisitive. How, so let's say, let's say I w- I'm part of your team and Ben, you know, you know, one day I want to be a HR director and you keep telling me, you know, be inquisitive. What does that look like? How would, how would you mentor someone and say, when you're saying to them, go and be inquisitive, how could someone go and live that? So I suppose the starting point for me is you've, you, you, you've got to break down that initial perception and and the perceptions often is, you know, business is on one half of the circle and HR is on the other. And there's a big black hard line that goes down the middle. Um, And that's the starting point because where I try and nuance and get that different mindset is it's not like that. There's a wiggly line down the middle. Some people will really want to pull from HR and at times HR will really want to push to the business. Um, And I think it's about clarity. You know, you have to educate the business around what an HR business business partner is, as an example, you know, and that happens a lot. Yes, I'd love them to be, I need them to be as part of your local leadership team because they're there to service you from an HR need. So it's about the education. And I think if you've been informative and you're you're giving them the what, but the how as well, you know that that's impactful because then it doesn't it doesn't come across as being forced upon so in coaching you know coaching the team it is about that what I often say is as I've said before you can't do it from outlook um you can't do it with not having regular dialogue and contact with the business um and you can't do it by just thinking I'm only operating at this level of of an organization because that's the wrong starting point you've got to be at a number of levels and, and, and supporting, you know, team leaders with local teams, you know, managers of managers, leaders of leaders. You've got, you've got, you've got to be sort of across everywhere and um, you've got to ask the right questions. And the other thing that I, you know, often say is um, I like a seat, you know, I expect to seat at the leadership table and I'm going to sit there, but I'm going to contribute um, and I'm going to contribute with intention and purpose because I understand the business and, and, and I want to solve people-related issues for them. Um, and likewise, through my business partnering team, is if I've if we've collectively crafted this, this wonderful thing called business partnering, where you're invited and you've got a seat at your local leadership table, then for God's sake, say something. Even if you've got nothing to say, you need to contribute because it's about being present it's about being active and it's about demonstrating that you've got, you know, an interest. And I'll be really honest, you know, sometimes, you, you, you know, I've sat in meetings thinking, my God, I could be doing a million and one other things, but you have to be present in the moment because that's what sort of comes along with it. Um, and you have to be time precious as well um, because you do spend an enormous amount of time liaising and contacting and sitting in meetings Um but you've got to have an ability to then take some insight from that and feed it back into the wider beast that's HR because that's where the insight comes from. Um, so yeah, I know, I'm, and again, it might seem it might seem like a real simple process, but it's really hard because you know often often in the system of HR, people just get so engrossed in a process or they get so engrossed in what they're doing that they lose sight of that. So it's about bringing them back. Um, and I suppose the other thing is, is around providing an opportunity for people to move around a larger system as well, you know, and experience it. And that's a hard thing to do, um, you know, 
Um, there's often that saying around HR business partners going feral because they fall out of love with HR and they absolutely love the business. And I've been in that position myself. Um, I've never and, heard that before. But, but they've got to have two homes. You know, they've got to have two homes. And, you know, some of the systems I've gone in and some of the conversations I've been exposed to, um, and it's almost like peeking behind the curtain um, of HR, you know, and it's it can be really feral in there, you know, with this blame culture across, well, why has the L&D partner gone out and met with that person there, my manager and this? So you've got to create harmony within the team um, and you've got to you've got to create that entry point and that harmony back with the business as well because it's a really fine line because if you get it right, it's brilliant, but if you get it wrong, automatically the business is going to come in and say, well, I'm sick of it because I'm getting an email from your HR business partner and L&D are doing this and then your end person saying this. So it's about package it up, we'll sit at the table, we'll go through it, we'll take some time and if you need, you know, that, that coaching or that advice or that reactive need, um, you know, here's your channel in. Um, so, yeah, it's just about you, you just spend all your time having to manipulate and mould people back within a, within a process. Okay, fantastic. So then two and a half years, two, no, two and a half years, two and a tiny bit years ago, you decided to come back to the UK. What was the reason for that? Uh, probably the family pull, if I'm being honest, you know, um, uh, having family back in the UK and, you know, the, the situation that, you know, can happen and go on. Um, you just realise very quickly that New Zealand is a bloody long way away. Um, you know, it's practically two days on an aeroplane to, to sort of get back. Um, so yeah, I mean uh, that move back was 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 primarily due to family reasons, um, you know. And I'll be honest, it was an easy move to make in some events, um, but a really hard move to make in others. Um, you know, having established a life and a great career and you know an awesome job that I absolutely loved and a brilliant team. Um, but life, you know, what's that saying? life gives you lemons you've got two choices haven't you you know and I've just decided to to turn that into lemonade really uh and coming back um and that's probably been the hardest move uh coming back to to the UK to be honest yeah how did you find kind of getting back into work then so you've you've kind of accelerated your career while you're in New Zealand um you've then returned as a kind of hrd top of the table how did you find kind of applying for jobs going out securing work were, were people receptive or were you finding that that issue that we were talking about of actually coming back into your career going well your experience is now in new zealand you're not you're not relevant yeah uh it has been difficult and i suppose it's been difficult because you sort of have to rebalance and re-justify. So there's, there tends to be a lot more roadblocks that can be put in front of you with coming back on shore. You know, you've got to step people over through the hurdle that, you know, A, New Zealand's not Australia. That happens a lot. Don't ask, don't ask me why. Um, you know, sort of the, the, the upsell around the fact that the employment system uh, is pretty much similar. So you've, you've automatically got some hurdles to go across. But the market is so different, you know, in, in coming back to the UK around the, you know, the, the spectrum of HR is massive over here from, uh, you know, highly reactive to highly agile. So it's about trying to find your place where you sort of sit in there. And I suppose the transition for me coming back in is, you know, having come out of an amazing role in New Zealand where we're doing some amazing transformational work and, and a lot of strategic and, and really being leaned on, you know, as I say, as a thought leader and a contributor um, to coming back and not having that seat or that ability to co-create and drive people forward was a struggle. Um, and I suppose that's why I've moved into the interim markets. And, and a lot of what I've done in my space at the moment is, you know, there's a lot of businesses globally. And don't get me wrong, it's not, you know, I'm not UK bashing at all. Uh, it happens globally. But there's a lot of organisations that have lovely slogans and values um, and talk about people being their critical asset. And it's that's not there, you know, and I can sort of cut through that quite quickly. Um 
So the so the roles in the organisations where I've been in since I've been back primarily in that interim market has been around supporting HR as a function, a lot of restack, a lot of optimization, um, giving them some self-worth and credibility to, you know, deliver deliver their passion and 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 the and the function of, of HR, as well as doing cons- some consultancy work as well. Um, you know, and, has been, and it has been hard, you know, settling family here, you know, um, location-wise, sort of being on and off the market, um, you know, building new connections because you do lose sight of, of, of those connections. Um, but for me, the positive off the back of it is, you know, I think I sit here and I reflect around you need to be you, you need to be true to yourself around the uniqueness that you bring. And I get I'm an agitator and I get I'm a little bit like Marmite and that's not going to fit in every organisation. And I think where you try and mould and become really malleable to make yourself fit or try and drive something a little bit quicker, it doesn't bring you any pleasure. So part of my life lesson is about calibrating myself back in to say, actually, you know, I've been pretty good at this for a while and I'm going to stick with being with that and if that sort of shrinks the population pool down from an opportunities perspective that's fine um but what I like to sit and reflect on is around where we've dialed a business forward you know sometimes a little bit at a glacial pace because we're not quite ready um but enrolling people in the HR system to take pride in what they do to give them opportunities to get involved in stuff that, you know, they maybe haven't got involved in, um, to co-create the need for an HR chair at the table, um, and also to open up the eyes that, you know, actually if you get a really good transformational HR leader in the seat who can do target operating model properly, who want a deep dive, who can workforce plan, who can do all of this, then you're probably saving some money around all of these experts in the system that you have to procure in. Um, and, you know, some in some some places I've been, it's worked, it's been gold, and other people have not just been quite ready for that. So, you know, and that's the luxury of, of moving across and in interim roles is you're a little bit like Nanny McPhee. You go in and you're a bit <laughs> watery with a big buck tooth um, and you try and do stuff for that organisation. Um and often if you do a great job and you're looking you're looking great um, and they want to keep you but they don't need you, you sort of pop out and move on to the on to the next thing. Yeah. What a great metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll I think we'll just finish on that because I'm not sure we can we can cap that. Um I honestly think you and I, I could I could deep dive further and further and further and ask you loads of questions because I think you've just got so much to offer, so much insight, knowledge. You come at things from a slightly different angle, which is good. And I mean that from kind of like you you question rather than accept. And and that's what we're kind of talking about as an agitator, really. You know, it's in a it's in a very positive way. And I think I think you a lot of people could could learn from you and benefit from probably the the knowledge that you've got to share um and i, I think we i think we should do something further down the line where we get you back on again and and um maybe talk through things in a bit more depth really um maybe come out things from talking about specific topics maybe i don't know it's maybe you and me discuss this further down the line and talk about it but i'd love i'd love to get you back on because um what we've talked about has been really insightful it's interesting to hear kind of the journey that you've had um i hope the listeners have enjoyed it i hope they've got some of the i hope i've asked the the kind of the what's and the how's at the right places um if anybody hasn't can they or if i sorry if i haven't and anybody has any questions can they pick up with you on linkedin absolutely you know and uh and i suppose that's a luxury of of of, of the love of HR you know it's about sharing insights about sharing ideas and it's about us coming together collectively you know to do something different um and strategize you know uh, yeah. and I suppose my, my my last point that I will probably leave people with is if you're unsure in the moment it's okay just to stop check and then adjust you don't need to react in the moment you know mind for some information speak with your team be a bit more inquisitive because the solution that you can probably generate back for your business is probably going to be a lot more tangible. You preempted me. 
you preempted my last uh, question. I always finish with one question, which is what advice would you give to the younger you or a listener? And you I didn't even have to ask the question and you, you, you came up with the answer. Well, there you go, you see. It must be that third eye that, uh, you know, as HR superheroes <laughs> have around about forecasting into the... Uh, HR superheroes, I like that one. <laughs> well, honestly, but... Yeah, you. Absolutely, you know, because I think, uh, you know, and I'd encourage people as well to leverage LinkedIn as a platform. There's not a lot of HR people on there. Um, who are active um, and there's some great operators um, and don't feel like you're on an island on your own um, reach out, have a conversation chew the fat bounce ideas off people and and just really embrace um, the fact that people you know you can do things a little bit different I completely agree you know if I, I train a lot of the people kind of I work with through the job search I, I say build up your network you know talk connect with other HR professionals, connect with your peer group, connect with the, the, the HR leaders in your local area. And, and you know what? Ask them questions because people naturally are akin to helping. If you ask someone a question, very rarely will someone turn around and tell you to shove it. Most people will will gladly support or point you in the right direction of, of, of kind of that, that advice. So I completely agree. LinkedIn is a is a great platform. I think people are still a bit nervous sometimes about about putting the head above the parapet and, and kind of um, doing doing these sorts of things. But you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who wouldn't who wouldn't kind of embrace you engaging with them and asking them questions. So, But, Ben, thank you so much for, for coming on today and, and sharing everything with with, um, with the listeners and with myself. It's It's been brilliant. It's been fascinating. Um, you, you're a different profile in terms of you've done the, you know, the relocation and coming back again, but you're, a, you're just a different hr practitioner um than probably some of the other guests i've had anyway and i've really i've personally really enjoyed it so thank you very much yeah my absolute pleasure you know absolutely passionate about it and probably could talk the hind legs off a donkey around that's the, the problem i'm trying to keep it to kind of as narrow <laughs> as i can and yeah, i, I, I could have kept for, talking, talking. Yeah, thanks for inviting me along it's been brilliant cool thank you very much and there we have it another show done Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google. Um, Also, why not tell a friend as well? Get them involved. Share the wealth around. Um, Feedback is greatly appreciated as well. You can um, reach me on LinkedIn. Any feedback is really, really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and I can tailor it to make sure that I'm asking the questions that, that you guys think are relevant. But thanks again and see you next week.